I ask you to keep your <clears throat> Bibles open. We're going to look actually at several passages of Scripture. The one that uh, Jane just read for us is, is the last passage uh, that we'll look at. We're actually going to start in Genesis 1. So if you want to keep your Bibles open or, or keep your Bible app open, uh, we will look through, uh, we'll look at at least five, I believe, uh, verses of Scripture this morning during this time of our service together. So there's been much discussion, there's been many uh, emotions, there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of division, there are a lot of opinions, a lot has been uh, floating around and being said uh, since the Supreme Court uh, decision came uh, to overturn Roe versus Wade. So what we are seeking to do this morning is to seek biblical clarity so that we will ourselves understand uh, what the scriptures have to say on these matters and then to be able to share that with others uh, as well, to be ambassadors of truth and grace and light. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then we'll have a time of looking to Scripture and making application. And then we're going to go into kind of an extensive prayer time together this morning. Father, we do love you and praise you. And we thank you uh, once again for the opportunity that we have today. The precious privilege of opening your word. And we do so, Father, because your word is sufficient. Your word is true. Your word is without error. Your word is inspired. It's directly from you. It is alive. It is active. And so, Father, for what, whatever area of life, that your, your scripture is sufficient for salvation and for life. And especially on the issue of life and all that surrounds that, Father, the truths that you have given us will guide us in our understanding that we may live to honor you and that we may help others to live to honor you as well. And so, Father, we need help. There's a lot of feeling. There's a lot of positions. There's a lot of uh, talking, sayings, surrounding this issue and so we need we we need you to work in our minds and in our hearts to help us be clearly thoroughly biblical and that we might save children and minister to mothers and we can do both so help us father as we look to your scripture to be a truly pro-life people. A gospel people should be a pro-life people. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pro-life in a row-free America. So if you are 49 years old or younger, you have never lived in a row-free America until nine days ago. So as believers, we recognize that 
that we have entered into a new era in our nation. And because of that, and because of all of the uh, upheaval, we recognize that, that our first and foremost question as a believer, our first and foremost question becomes, how do we live out the faith in this new row-free America? How do we live out our faith? So let's walk through a couple of things together. First of all, the very first thing that we need to do is to build a thoroughly scriptural foundation and worldview. That's what we're going to attempt to do by looking at some passages together this morning. Build a thoroughly scriptural foundation and worldview. So as believers, we recognize that that we cannot base our view of abortion on the subjectivity of opinions that we hold, that others may hold, of emotions and emotional arguments and emotional situations, of personal experience or the personal experience of others, of difficult questions or the so-called hard cases. I don't mean to diminish that they're hard. I'm just saying that that's being put forth as the argument today. Or talking points. All of those things are very subjective in nature, meaning they change from person to person. They change from situation to situation. So we don't look to the subjective. We look to the objective, eternal Word of God. God's Word has always been our foundation and our guide for everything in life. And this issue is not excluded. It is included. And the reason why we look to God's objective word, eternal word, is that it is truth. That's John 17, 17. It never changes or fails. That's Romans 9, 6. It leads to salvation, 2 Timothy 3, 15. It makes us more like Christ, John 17, 17. And it sets us free from the deception and destruction of sin. That's John 8, 32. We look to the Scripture. So let's look together to the Scripture and kind of put some foundations in place as we move forward in this day and time. First of all, Genesis 1, 27. Genesis 1, 27, familiar passage, but... It's so worth going back to for so many things, actually, in, that we're dealing with in our nation today. But, of course, for this issue as well. Genesis one twenty seven says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every baby conceived in the womb, is created by God. God is the creator. And because God is the creator of of every human life, and that that is a human life, what separates mankind from all the rest of God's creation is that we bear his image. 
There's a divine imprint on the life of every human being that we are to reflect our creator. We are to display our creator in our very existence. So because God is creator and has created every human life and every human life bears his image, that means that every single human life has purpose and meaning. It's created by God and it is in his image. The Bible also reveals to us that God is sovereign even over conception. When a baby is conceived, no matter what the circumstances may be that led to that conception, that child has been designed and determined by God himself. He is the creator of every human life. So scripture speaks to this. When you read through the Old Testament especially, you'll see the scripture often speaks about God opening the womb and closing the womb. God is sovereign even over conception. God has a sovereign plan for each and every life that is brought into existence. Let's look to another passage. So that that first passage, God is creator of all life and all human life bears his image. Exodus chapter 20. So the first, the first pillar of our foundation is Genesis one twenty seven. The second pillar of our foundation is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Part of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments being a summary statement of the, the law of God that's contained in the first five books of the Old Testament. A summary of the old covenant, a summary of God's moral demands upon his creation. Exodus 20, 13 simply says, you shall not murder. Now, what does does murder mean? It is the taking of an innocent life. So, this verse is not... uh, This verse is not directed to just war. There are other passages in the scripture that uh, direct us and give us uh, teaching on on war. And uh, this verse is speaking directly to the sin of taking an innocent life. Because why? why? Why is that a sin? Why is it a sin to just walk up and murder somebody? Why is that wrong? Why is that criminal? Why is the taking of a life wrong? Because God created that life. And it bears his image. And because God creates life and it bears his image and it has his purpose and and his design, it is wrong, it is a sin to take that innocent life. In our context, every child in the womb is innocent. There is no crime. From that child, committed by that child. There is to be no taking of innocent life. Exodus 20, 13. That's our second pillar. Look with me to Exodus 21. Exodus 21 is, I believe, very clarifying in this issue. In Exodus 21, look with me to verses 22 through 25. 
So these are laws about what happens in different situations. And it says here, beginning in verse 22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children... So the Bible is already speaking of the baby, that that's in her womb is a baby, it's a child, so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose upon him, he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, if that unborn child is harmed in any way, then you shall pay, listen to this, life for life. That means if that pregnant woman loses her baby because she was harmed by these men, then you will pay life for life, which means God considers that life in the womb just as valuable and meaningful as life outside of it. So that personhood and that humanity of that life within the womb is to be treated the same in this situation. Verse 24, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The life in the womb is just as precious and sacred and created as life outside of it. Exodus 21, 22 through 25, that's our third pillar the unborn child is considered by God to be a human life Psalm 127 so we're building a foundation right we're building a a thoroughly scriptural foundation to be our guide and to be our worldview to help us navigate issues and questions and circumstances. Genesis 127, Exodus 20, 13, Exodus 21, 22 through 25. Now we come to Psalm 127 and verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They are given by the Lord. He is the creator. He is sovereign over conception. He is the author of every single life, every single conception. Children are a heritage from the Lord and therefore a gift. And the Bible speaks right here of children being the, 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 a reward of, children, of those being blessed who have them. Children are a blessing. From God. Every child conceived is a blessing. Children, in general, no caveat, no loophole, no exception clause. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and blessed is the man who has his quiver filled with them 
Children are a blessing. And why is it? Why are children a blessing? Because they are from God. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are from God. He is their creator. He has given them. So in our situation and in our context, children are often, the way, the way we argue and debate this issue, children are not posited as a blessing. But every single child is. Because they are from God. They are created. They bear his image. They are a gift. That's our fourth pillar of our biblical foundation. Now let's look to Psalm 139. This is our fifth one, the passage that we read earlier. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So see, see the divine active hand of God in the mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, created, designed, purposed. When you make something, you make it for a purpose. We are made fearfully and wonderfully. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your your eyes saw my, here it is, unformed substance. Unformed substance. That is, be, that is before the, the, the fetus takes on, the, uh, takes on the, the look of a human. The unformed substance. That very early group of cells that are constantly multiplying and adding and, beco- and being formed to this individual unique person. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. There's a plan. There's a purpose. There's a meaning. There's a, there's a design. When as yet there was none of them. So even before conception, God is sovereign over conception. Even before conception, there was a plan for this individual that God would create and bear his image And bring glory to his name through living out his purpose. God's creative divine hand is at work in every intricate detail within the womb of the mother from conception to birth. So what takes place in the womb is nothing less than a miracle. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 teaches us this, that God God has planned every pregnancy. Sometimes it just takes a while for us to see his wise, loving plan. Sometimes his plan doesn't match our plan. Sometimes God's will doesn't match our agenda. But that doesn't mean that it's not good. That doesn't mean that it's not without purpose. That doesn't mean that it's not a blessing. We have to build a thoroughly biblical 
foundation. So we'll begin with these five verses. And you can continue to build as you read through God's Word. It continues to speak to life, to children, to homes, to families, to the hurting, to forgiveness, to sin, to healing. Build a thoroughly scriptural foundation. Number two, lovingly and consistently shine truth on error. So we have to take that biblical foundation and share it with others in the situations or in the, that they find themselves in or in the, in the um, ideology that they find themselves in or in the worldview that they find themselves in to lovingly and consistently shine truth. Number one, from the Scripture, we believe life and personhood begin at conception. There's not a stage in the process of from fertilization to birth. There's not some stage in that process that that, that thing becomes a human. It has always been a human. So from its very conception, life begins, personhood begins. Where do you find that? We just read it in Psalm 139, 16, that, that unformed substance, even before any of my days. During the fertilization process, you know this, the 23 chromosomes from the mother unite with the 23 chromosomes from the father to form a unique DNA chain that is absolutely individualistic with every single ounce of information that is needed for every detail of that human life. There's never any new information added. It just multiplies and grows and that information in that DNA that's replicated in every cell just determines all the different features and characteristics and everything about that unique human being. That baby just simply grows and matures. Personhood, life begins at conception so how, what about these hard cases that, that account for about 2% of abortions? What about these cases? Let's think through these biblically. Let's take the scriptures and apply to these. So what about the cases of rape and incest? That's a hard case. That's a difficult situation. But if we say that abortion is wrong... The taking of innocent life is wrong except for the cases of rape and incest. What we are doing is taking those five pillars of Scripture that we just read. What we are doing then is taking those passages, putting a comma at the end of them, and then adding our thought to Scripture. Because in Scripture, there's none of those exceptions. None of those clauses. Placing our own caveat to God's word is a dangerous thing to do. Rape and incest are horrible, tragic, evil. But we cannot allow the horrible, tragic, evil circumstance to guide our worldview. We cannot let the circumstance dictate our response. Remember, 
God is sovereign over the womb. That's a biblical truth. God creates life, every life. That's a biblical truth. It's in his image. That's a biblical truth. Children are a blessing from the Lord. That's a biblical truth. So, we understand our God to be wise and loving and, and faithful. So, so, how do you understand this? God is able to take a horrible evil and bring something beautiful and good out of it. God does this all the time through all kinds of situations. But to terminate the child would, to be, would be to punish an innocent life, the child, for the criminal's behavior. The criminal should be punished. The one who perpetrated this violent, evil act. And some question then, well, why, why should the mother suffer the consequences or be punished for an evil act that's done to her? Why, why should she have to go on carrying this, this child and living with this after this horrible thing has been done to her? And our hearts break for anyone that's been abused, anyone that's been mistreated in any situation. But when we take that line of thinking, that means we are categorizing the child as a consequence. We're categorizing the child as a punishment instead of a blessing. That God may be doing something wonderful from something evil so what we have to do then is is we we have to keep the evil that led to the conception separate from the blessing that resulted from it those are two different things if we combine them we lose that the biblical truth and foundation and the beauty of god's purpose and design and creative hand so you punish the evil doer and you celebrate the life that God has purposed and designed and created. To terminate the life of an innocent child would be to add an egregious sin on top of an egregious sin. And in the long run, to ask a mother to terminate the life that's within her created by God in his image in the long run, would not be in the best interest of the mother. It's never in the best interest to be convinced to sin. No matter how difficult and horrifying the circumstances that you're standing in might be, if the mother keeps the baby, even conceived by an evil act, she may in fact grow to love that child as it grows in her womb. Or if it remains too traumatic for her, and that's certainly understandable, she can deliver that child and give it to a loving home that's waiting for a child to love and nurture. That's actually the better biblical option. Save the child. Love the mother. The mother doesn't have to live with the guilt of ending the life of her baby and the blessing that bears God's image gets to live. Adoption is truly the loving option 
So that's one case. Second hard case, what about babies with severe abnormalities, physical difficulties? Isn't it more compassionate to end their lives rather than bring them into this world to live a life of suffering? That's a hard question, isn't it? That's a hard situation. It's not an easy an easy thing to live through. But you know what the Bible teaches? That some of God's greatest blessings come through suffering. Some of the ways that, some of the times that we grow the most in our Christian faith is not in times of ease, but in times of trial and suffering and hardship. In other words, God has a purpose even for the really hard, heartbreaking, difficult situations. God has a purpose. God is is working for His glory, somehow our good. God created that child that has all of those difficulties and has a wise and good purpose, whether it be for that child to live three minutes, three weeks, or 30 years. So here's the thing, when, we, when, when a physician says your child has severe you know, difficulties, severe abnormalities, and it, it would be best if, if you, know, you consider going ahead and ending, ending the life to prevent great suffering, here's the, here's the issue. To terminate the baby at that point is to leave God out of the equation And as believers, we simply can't leave God out of a part of our lives, especially a part that we know God is so involved in, Psalm 139. God is really involved in that womb. And here's the reason why we can't leave God out of the equation of severe difficulties. Because that baby, through prayer and care, that baby may be born perfectly healthy. That has happened. Mothers have been told your baby has an an abnormality, your baby has a difficulty, and that baby has been born perfectly healthy. There are testimonies to such. It has happened. Miracles still happen. That child may go through a series of surgeries and, and then go on to lead a productive life. That has happened. Don't leave God out of the equation. Or that baby may live with difficulty all his life and show the world what compassion really means to love and care for those who no one else wants to love and care for. And that has happened too, and it's no less of a miracle. And it's no less of a good purpose. And it's no less of a meaningful life. I've got two nephews that were born with difficulties. One plays the guitar at his church and one preaches the gospel at his church. They're a blessing. What about those cases of those severe difficulties? God has a purpose. God is creator. You care for that child 
that God has given, that God has blessed as much as you can. Here's another scenario. What about the cases that threaten the life of the mother? I have to tell you this, that we really need to be informed by Christian, truly pro-life physicians because any of them will tell you that abortion is never medically necessary. Abortion, we're going to make some distinctions in a minute. Abortion is never medically necessary to save the life of a mother. Instead, instead of terminating the pregnancy, here's what you do from our biblical foundation. You care for the mother and allow her to carry her child as long as she can. And then you take the child from her womb and do everything you can to save the life of that child. Why? Because God created him in his image with a purpose and a design. So you care for the mother and then you do your best to care for her child. And we have the technology as such, if a mother can carry her child to 21 weeks, that child has a fighting chance. 21 weeks. Do everything you can to save the life of the child. Well, what about the ectopic pregnancy? Have you heard that in the past week or so? It's a horrible situation. Rare, but it does happen. So this occurs when the baby begins to grow in the fallopian tube rather than, in, rather than the uterus of the mother. And the baby will not survive and the mother's life is threatened in that situation. Here's where we need the truth. Don't listen to the talking points. Treatment for an ectopic pregnancy and treatment for a miscarriage where the mother is still carrying the baby in her womb. Both of those treatments are not classified as abortions. They are not classified as abortions. Even though the same method, DNC, is used in an abortion as is used in these cases. They are classified as two different things. Why? Because of the purpose for the two different procedures. The purpose of an abortion is to end the life of the child within the womb. The purpose of treatments for ectopic pregnancies or miscarriages is to save the life of the mother by removing a fetus that is not viable. Those are two different things. There is no pro-life legislation anywhere in our nation, in any state, that prevents a woman, even our heartbeat bill in South Carolina that went in effect last Monday, does not prevent any woman from getting medical care to remove treatment, to remove a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy. That is simply the truth. Any argument against that is simply 
an agenda-driven, emotional lie. You can read the bills, and you can talk to pro-life physicians. Don't get your information from TikTok. Please. What about this case? Or this argument, not having access to abortion will cause the death of many women. Now, this means that some women who want to have an abortion and they cannot obtain one, then they'll turn to their own means to remove that child and therefore they put their lives at risk. So what's the answer to that? Well, the answer is not, there is an answer to that, but the answer is not to okay, go ahead and and allow 1,700 babies to be aborted every day. And that's the 2020 daily average of abortion procedures in the United States. So that's not the answer. The answer is to double our efforts to get the information and truth and assistance to these women so that the child is saved and given for adoption if unwanted and the mother is saved as well. It's not, it's a whole lot, it's a whole lot safer to have your baby. Women are placed in that situation of this argument, they, are, they place themselves in that situation because they have been told over and over that abortion is the only answer and that there's a war against them and that this is their body and that they can do whatever they want to with it and this is the only way out and that the child inside of them is actually not a child. They've been told these lies over and over and over. And if you say it long enough and loud enough and from enough sources, if enough famous people agree with it and argue for it, then it must be the truth, right? So what what do we have to do? We have to tell them the truth. We have to expose the lie. We have to lovingly and consistently shine truth on error so that women do not place themselves in that situation because they are not believing these lies. If you believe those lies, you're going to end up in that situation. The answer is truth. Living lovingly and consistently shining truth on error. Third, live a pro-life life. Live a pro-life life. We have to be more pro-life now than ever before. If we truly believe God creates life in Christian homes, we must reprioritize. We must now really step up and be pro-life. Up until now, pro-life meant you vote for pro-life candidates and, and you march and you pray and you support pregnancy centers. Now it means... That plus a lot more, we must adopt 
We must support families who adopt. That means we must, if we are really pro-life, if we believe children are a blessing, they're created by God in his image, then are we willing to let go of some of our luxuries and some of our pleasures so that we can adopt children who are blessings from God? And support families who decide to adopt. We must increase our presence, increase our support at pregnancy centers and Christian adoption agencies. We must reach out to moms who are frightened or pressured or deceived. Any and everything as individuals and families and churches that can be done must be done. We must love the mothers and we must save the children. Fourth and final thing before we go to prayer. With grace and truth... We must win over the pro-choice heart. That's the only way. You can't pass a law and change a heart. You pass a law and you reveal a heart. Or you strike down a law or you overturn a decision and you reveal a heart. You don't change a heart. So we won't win a single person to life by arguing and debating and condemning. If you, you know, the, if you are not pro-life, then you are not a Christian. Would you please quit saying that? That's not helpful. You won't win a single person to life by arguing and debating and condemning. We have to be loving and compelling and winsome with the truth. Prayer and patience and conversation and mercy and service grounded in truth and gospel one by one will win hearts from the, from the arena of death to the celebration of life. So let me say these couple of things before we move into our prayer time. I've, I've spoken longer than I wanted to, but you know, that's me. Number one, if you have had an abortion, there is healing and forgiveness in Christ. There is hope. Number two, building a thoroughly scriptural foundation, we can be thoroughly pro-life and thoroughly pro-women. Those two things are not at odds. We can care for, love, and have the best interest of all for mothers as we save children. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.